Well, a very good morning to you. It's lovely to be with you and it's been lovely to be part of um, everything that's been going on today. Um, if Graham thought he was underdressed, that's the smartest I've seen him in a long, long time. And um, so it's, it's been lovely uh, to, to share part of, of the dedication and everything that's been going on. Before we begin, let's just pause and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the time that we've been able to spend already together this morning praising you and giving thanks to you for all that you have done and the way that you have blessed us. And Lord, we just pray that as we come to your word now, that you would open our hearts, that as well as we as opening, our, opening the word before you, that you would also open our hearts to hear what you would have to say to us and to understand the implications on our lives and to understand all that you've done for us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. News of the arrival of a baby or a pregnancy is meant to be one of the happiest occasions of our lives. For those of us who have children, we can probably recall very vividly the moment when we discovered that we were going to be parents. Understandably, often the lady knows before the man and she can perhaps have some fun in thinking about how she's going to break the news to him and perhaps drop a series of hints and see how long it takes for the penny to finally drop. For me, first time round, Bryony kept it very simple and simply told me one Saturday afternoon that we were going to have a baby. Second time round, however, we seem to have different recollections of this. This is my recollection of how things took place. But we were out shopping and after buying some things, I was handed a shopping bag to be told that she couldn't possibly carry this in her condition or words to that effect. Being a man, I had no idea what she was talking about and just simply took the bag and uh, thought nothing more of it. And after a few more such similar hints, eventually the penny dropped and baby number two was on the way and there we stop. <laughs> For Mary and Joseph, however, the situation was very different. For one, they weren't married, they were only engaged. And no doubt they would have planned to have had a family one day, but would never have imagined under the circumstances under which their firstborn would arrive, these circumstances. Luke's Gospel in chapter 1 records for us how Mary handled the news of her pregnancy. You see, at that time, Mary had no idea how her family or indeed how Joseph would react to the news. And yet despite that, and also knowing and understanding that her life was about to change forever, the Bible records for us in Luke chapter 1 and verse 38 her amazing response when she says to this angel of the Lord, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Interestingly, over in Matthew's Gospel, we, rec- we have recorded how Joseph is handling things. That whatever Joseph made of Mary's pregnancy, he knew one thing for certain. He was not the father. And as a result, he had a decision to make, probably the hardest decision he would ever have to make. Does he stay with Mary and raise this child as his own? Or does he call everything off? Joseph knew Mary and he knew she wasn't a liar. But at the same time, he's still trying to process and understand what Mary told him and what this angel had said to her. 2,000 years later and we are still trying to figure it out and so we can perhaps give Joseph a break here 
in the time that he takes in thinking about this thing. But we discover from Matthew's gospel that it appears that Joseph has in fact decided to call off the wedding. But before he does, the Bible tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, it was as he considered these things. That an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And the angel actually explains in Matthew 1 verses 22 and 23 that what is taking place was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. Because the angel quotes from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. You see, the angel is able to point Joseph back to the Old Testament scriptures and to show him that what Mary has told him is actually prophesied hundreds of years earlier. And in effect, the angel is saying, Joseph, Mary's not making this up. What she's told you, the prophet Isaiah, has spoken about all those years ago. And look, you only need to go to your own scriptures to to find it out. And the Bible tells us that when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he married Mary. And although we have limited information in the New Testament, I want to think with you this morning a little about what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph to raise this baby in their home. For Jesus, a little about the relationship that the Lord Jesus had with his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. And so instead of having one particular passage to look at, we're going to look at a few different ones. And so you might find it helpful to have your Bible in front of you. I invite you to turn firstly with with me to Luke chapter 2. Because I want to think for a few moments about our Lord's birth. Over in Luke chapter 2 and verse 6 we read that the time came for Mary to give birth. And then we read in verse 7 that she gave birth to her firstborn son. Now those of you who have actually given birth are probably thinking, if only it were that easy. I'm proud to say that I was at the birth of both my boys. And those who know me and know how squeamish I am are amazed that I didn't collapse in a heap on the floor. And quite honestly, so am I. Those of a bygone generation have told me that it used to be that the father dropped the mother off at the door of the hospital and went home. You wouldn't get away with that these days. All I can say is that I discovered a newfound respect and love for Bryony. And an everlasting reminder why I'm eternally grateful to the Lord that he made me a man. (laughs) But in thinking about these things and perhaps being able to call upon our memories of such occasions. We mustn't miss the incredible fact that our Lord was brought into this world. Through natural childbirth. The Bible doesn't provide much by way of description. But then in some respects it doesn't need to. Because most of us understand the process. By which babies are born into this world. And it's a staggering thought to consider. That the son of God would enter this world in such a way. Through natural childbirth. We sometimes focus on the stable and the manger. And all of that points to the humility of it all. But the birth in its own is just mind-blowing. And we can't underestimate the importance of this. The virgin birth might be one of the hardest things for our minds to grasp, but it's also one of the most important doctrines that we need to hold on to. Some argue that it doesn't make any difference to our salvation, that the virgin birth is not that important. But you see, in order for Jesus to be our saviour, he has to be both fully human and fully God. 
And that's why what was conceived in Mary had nothing to do with Joseph. That what was conceived in Mary was by the Holy Spirit. So that it wonderfully brought together both full humanity and full deity in one person. Through Mary's pregnancy and our Lord's natural childbirth. We see this incredible work of God in bringing together full humanity and full deity in one person. You see Jesus had to be born into the world in this way in order that he could be our substitute. And take our place on that cross. That without the virgin birth he couldn't have done that. And so here we have this young married couple starting out in their life together. And entrusted to their care is God's own son. There's no time to adjust to married life. No time to get used to one another and being part of, of just being a married couple. They're in at the deep end with the Son of God to care for. Not only that, but you'll recall that after the Lord was born, Herod sought to kill him. And his parents, the thought of anyone harming her kids is her worst nightmare. And the Bible tells us that an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him to flee to Egypt and to stay there. For Herod is about to search for the child and to destroy him. And so here's this young family. And they're on the run. And so let's not miss how scary this must have been for them. Mary and Joseph, by all accounts, are probably still teenagers at this point. Two young kids, a long way from home. And after having just given birth to Jesus, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and tells him to take his family and to run for their lives to Egypt. There's no honeymoon here. This is life and death from day one. And so this young couple with a baby to care for find themselves in a foreign land, surrounded by strangers, no means of income, no place to stay, and uncertain for their future, knowing that their lives are at risk. But what do they do? They trust God. That he has entrusted to them the care of his son. And so they entrust themselves to his care. To look after them. Life is chaotic for this young family. They must have felt that things were spiralling out of control. But in the midst of such danger and such uncertainty. They trust themselves to the God who is in heaven. Who is more than able to look after them. And to bring them through whatever they may have to face. And perhaps that's a message for some of us this morning. That no matter what our circumstances may be. And no matter how uncertain the future may look. We don't face it alone. That as believers in Christ we face it with almighty God by our side. Leading us every step of the way. And never for a second leaving us alone. Stepping out in parenthood is a scary task. And you really do learn as you go. And things happen and you don't know how to react. And you don't know how to handle things. And yet God has wonderfully entrusted hope into your care. He's entrusted our kids into our care. And he doesn't leave us alone and say now get on with it and see what happens. But he's right there with us every step of the way. Helping us when we make those mistakes and even have to say sorry to our kids. And ask for their forgiveness when we get it wrong. But leading us every step of the way. 
The Bible tells us that after the death of Herod, the Lord leads the family back to Nazareth, where they settle down and they begin to raise a family. And it's interesting that in the space of a single verse in Luke chapter 2, and verse from moving from verse 40 to verse 41, 12 years of our Lord's life have passed. As we're then told about a trip that the family made to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. I wonder what life was like for this young family during those 12 years. What was it like for Jesus to be brought up in the home of Mary and Joseph? What was it like for them to raise God's son? Unfortunately the Bible doesn't provide as much information and so we'll need to wait to heaven to ask them. But perhaps if we take the liberty of using our imaginations for a second, picture for a moment, Mary and Joseph in bed and they hear the cry of the baby in the room next door. And Joseph nudges Mary and says, it's your turn. (laughs) And so off she goes. She goes into that room and she picks up this little baby and she holds him close. What must have she been thinking every time she cradled him in her arms? Because in in those moments, she was holding God in her arms. What was it like to to watch him take his first steps? To watch that wee baby stagger where he goes for a few steps, wobbles for a bit, goes for a few more and then plonks down in his bottom. Imagine God having to learn to walk. To hear him utter his first words. What was his first word? Imagine God having to learn to speak. To pick him up when he fell over. To give him a cuddle when he skinned his knee. To tickle him and to hear that laugh. That he have one of those laughs that just is so infectious that it makes everyone else laugh just by the sound of it. Our youngest boy is terrible for that. He gets away with murder. You try and give him a row and he laughs at you. And he's got one of those laughs and one of those smiles that makes you laugh and smile as well. And it just completely defeats the purpose. Very often you, you have to walk into another room and laugh and smile to yourself and then try and get a straight face and go back in. But for Mary and Joseph to look down on that wee face and to see him smile back at them. Back at them. And all the while be aware that this little one that is growing and developing in front of them is God's only begotten son. You remember when the shepherds came to worship the Lord after he was born? And they tell Mary and Joseph about what had happened in the field and how this great multitude of angels had appeared in the night sky to worship and to praise God. And how the angels explained that this baby that is to be born is to be the saviour, Christ the Lord. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2 and verse 19 that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then here we are 12 years later and they go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And there again in verse 51 of Luke chapter 2 we read that after everything that Mary has heard and all the things that have happened, that Mary once again treasured up all these things in her heart. It's clear then that as Mary watched him grow, she thought often about the things that had been said about him. About what the angel had told her, about who he was and what he'd come to do, and yet at the same time not fully understand what it all meant. 
I wonder if Joseph and Mary ever sat down together and talked about this little one that had been entrusted to them and would search the scriptures together to try and understand what does the future hold for him? Now because Joseph is not mentioned again after the time that this family had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover when Jesus was 12 years old it's common belief that he he died at some point during our Lord's upbringing. But it is possible that he lived well beyond that, with some suggesting that he may have died, may have lived right up just to the point before our Lord began his public ministry. We simply don't know. But it's important to know that a number of locations in the Gospels that Jesus was known as Joseph's son. Over in John chapter 1, when the Lord called Philip to follow him, we read that Philip went and found a man by the name of Nathaniel and says to him in John chapter 1 and verse 42, We have found of him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Later in the Gospels we read of the Lord preaching in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. And as the Lord taught and healed the people, they were amazed because they knew Jesus as Joseph's son. Now we don't have very much detail of our Lord's relationship with Joseph. But in Mark chapter 6 we discover something very interesting. In Mark chapter 6 Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. Where the people knew him. And the Bible tells us that in Mark 6 and verse 2. That on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished saying. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? And then notice what it says in verse 3 of Mark 6. That instead of the crowds referring to Jesus as the carpenter's son, or as Joseph's son, as they've done previously, Jesus is referred to as the carpenter. Suggesting that our Lord learned the same trade as Joseph, and was known by his trade as the carpenter. And so we can therefore infer from this that this must mean that Joseph and Jesus spent many hours together in the workshop as Joseph taught our Lord how to be a carpenter. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Joseph to teach Jesus to make stuff? Joseph is teaching this boy how to make and create things with wood. And yet the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 that for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. That all things were created through him and for him. The writer to the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 that in these last days God has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. Could you imagine then what it must have been like for Joseph to say to the one who created this world, let me show you how to make one of these. Hand me that chisel. Don't hold it like this, hold it like that and do this. Imagine some of the conversations that they must have had as our Lord was growing up. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 40 the Bible tells us that as a child Jesus grew, became strong and was filled with wisdom. That our Lord went through the natural and the normal stages of life, of growth and development. And so as our Lord's brain developed and as he saw things in this world, imagine some of the conversations he and Joseph may have had together. Imagine our Lord asking Joseph, 
What's that bright orange thing in the sky? And Joseph explains to him that it's called the sun. And he doesn't realise that the little boy standing before him is the one that brought that bright orange thing in the sky into existence. Perhaps Jesus asked them about the bright sparkly things that were in the sky at night. And Joseph tells them that they are called stars. And perhaps he even recounts how the stars shone brighter in the sky on the night that Jesus was born. And yet all the while unable to fully understand and to comprehend the fact that this little one is responsible for putting the stars in their place. And as they spent hours together in the carpenter's workshop, how Joseph must have marvelled at the boy that was growing and developing before him. Utterly amazed that God would entrust him to his care. His only begotten son. And so whatever age our Lord was when Joseph died, he would have experienced real grief. You see, although Joseph was not his biological father, humanly speaking, he was his dad in every other way. And so when Joseph passed away, our Lord would have been heartbroken. And it's a grief that is the writer explains to us allows him to understand what we feel and experience when we grieve. That those around us may never understand fully and may not know how we feel personally, but our Lord knows in every way. Because he went through everything in this life. That there's not a thing that you can experience today in your life and in this world that our Lord has not gone through. And so he knows He knows better than anyone how you feel. The grief that our Lord would have felt would have reminded him of why he had come. And why he had to give his life on that cross. So that death would not be the end. And so that death would not have the victory. But because of his death and his resurrection. You and I can live. As Mary and Joseph watched our Lord grow and develop, and certainly for Mary as she watched him grow into a man that would stand before her, never would she have imagined what was to come. I wonder if they ever spoke about what he'd come to do. I wonder if Jesus ever discussed with her the sufferings that he was to endure, knowing full well that it would break her heart to see him suffer in such a way. You know, it's significant that when we read the account of our Lord's crucifixion, John tells us in his gospel, in John 19 and verse 25, that standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. It's significant that so many of those who had followed him to Jerusalem and had cheered for him as he entered the city had now deserted him. That even his closest friends, his disciples, were nowhere to be seen. We need of only John and a handful of others being at the cross. And it's significant that one of the handful that remained and stood beside our Lord at his cross was his mum. And when we think of our Lord's relationship with his parents and in particular with his mum Mary, there is one standout moment that expresses the love and the care that he had for her. In John 19 we read as our Lord hung on the cross we read that when he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby he said to his mother woman behold your son and then he said to the disciple behold your mother and from that hour the disciple took her to his own home 
That as our Lord gave his life on the cross for our sins, he ensured that his mum would be looked after once he was gone. And as he died giving his life for her sin, he also wanted to ensure that she would be looked after in life. What a wonderful expression of love and compassion and of the real intimacy that existed between the Lord and his mum. You see, it's vital for us to understand that Mary needed salvation. That as Jesus hung on that cross, he was giving his life for her. As well as for you and for me. We don't know how much Mary understood at the time as she watched her son die on that cross. That on the one hand she stood there as a mother watching her son suffer and die. But on the other she also stood there as a sinner. Watching her saviour redeem her. And as time went on she would come to understand more fully what that sacrifice meant. And those memories of what she saw and what she witnessed on that day would amaze her. She would think back to those things that she had treasured up in her heart for all those years. And realise that it was all for the purpose of the son that she loved giving his life on that cross. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Mary to take communion? Can you imagine how heartbreaking it would be for her to remember her son being killed and to understand that everything she saw him suffer, he did for her. He did in order that her sin could be forgiven. Mary and Joseph had the incredible privilege of raising Jesus in their home. And I'm sure they must have talked often about it and been amazed that God would entrust such a one to their care and feel so privileged to have had him around them every day and yet in truth after our Lord was resurrected and ascended to heaven Joseph would have been reunited with him in glory and Mary would have enjoyed a far deeper relationship with him than she ever did on earth because now he was not just her son he was her saviour And so let me ask you as we finish, is Jesus your saviour? That you and I have the same opportunity today to have a relationship with this same Jesus. Because he alone has dealt with our sin. That he is the only way for our sin to be forgiven. And so I invite you this morning to repent of your sin. To put your trust in him and all that he has done for you on that cross. In order that you can know a relationship with him. To have your sin forgiven. And to walk with Jesus day by day. Let's pray. Father in an abundance of words I ask that you would take away anything which was unhelpful. And only that which was of you would remain. Lord when we consider. The Lord Jesus life on this earth. His his birth. His childhood. His development his life we're amazed we're amazed that he would humble himself in such a way to do that and yet we also understand that he also had to come into this world and to live that life in order that that life could one day be credited to us as being ours because he came and he lived in this world and he lived a perfect sinless life 
in order that when he died on that cross he would be there as a perfect sinless sacrifice and so Lord our only hope this morning is in him our only hope is in Jesus and what he has done for us and so Lord for those of us who know you we thank you we thank you so much for such a sacrifice and for those perhaps who don't we just pray that you would open their hearts to see and to understand that Jesus is the only way Lord would you work in our hearts and in our lives now we pray in Jesus name